Hello, welcome to the second episode of A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, female friendship and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode I will invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Matilda Singer, Tilly or Matilda, as most people know her, is one of my oldest friends from school and is the most loyal member of Spare Ribs Club, having been to, I think, most of our meetings. At one point, it was all of them. (laughs) Um, She uh, has been a member of the club since its creation last year and has worked in the book industry for the last six years first as a bookseller and now as an assistant editor at Little Brown Book Group, where she works on the feminist imprint Virago. Thank you so much, Tilly, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, let's get into it. Which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? They can be famous, unknown, it's all up to you. So, I feel like I've had such a long, long list of people because... If I was really having a feminist dinner party, I'd probably want to invite hundreds of people. Yeah. But when I was narrowing it down, as may be expected from my work and my interests, <laughs> they are all quite literature and book themed. Um, so my first guest is Nora Ephron. Ugh. Probably quite an obvious choice for a lot of people. <laughs> the queen. Um, so if anyone doesn't know who Nora Ephron is, she was... Well, yeah, it was because she sadly died in 2012. Um, she was a screenwriter, a novelist, an essayist, um, an American, you know, all-round icon in the kind of creative world. Mm-hmm. So she's probably most famous for probably either her novel Heartburn, which was then made into a film with Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. but also for being the creator of famous 90s rom-coms like When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, um, and yeah, all those kind of very famous and beloved films. And She's such like a warm, fuzzy feeling kind of person. Yeah. I I haven't actually read any of her books, I don't think, but I need to. I know they're on my list. But I obviously know all of those films, and it's such a, like, there's an Instagram account called Nora Ephron and Tim. Yes. Which is a beautiful Instagram yeah. account of Nora Ephron Interiors and it's just the most lovely nostalgic nineties kind of yeah. feel. Um anyway, that's a great choice. Yeah, um, I absolutely love her and I think she writes in such a sort of very sort of funny and engaging mm-hmm. and but also really intelligent and thoughtful mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. You should definitely read some of her her essays mm. if you haven't um and just some really iconic quotes and for me as well there's there's one quote she has I can't remember which essay it's from but it's just reading is everything and then she goes off on the whole thing about how amazing reading of books are um which obviously means a lot to me <laughs> so yeah I would 100% want to have her I mean, at my dinner party to be able to talk to her all about her books and her films um 
and yeah, just about anything. Life life advice. I'm sure she has <laughs> great life advice as well, having been through lots of different experiences in her life. Love that. And um, how about your second guest? So my second guest is Zadie Smith, who again, amazing, mm. amazing writer. She is the author of some of my favourite novels mm-hmm. ever, On Beauty, White Teeth, um, Swing Time, but also is an amazing essayist and journalist mm. and reviewer and culture critic and sort of just all round um, amazing writer and thinker. And I also really love, so she's from London, from North West London, yeah. and loads of her books just really evoke that area of the world mm-hmm. and specific time and place mm. and as you know we grew up in, in London, London so yeah. it's really nice seeing that in in books mm-hmm. um and I just think she would I think I would be hugely in awe of her <laughs> but um she I just want to know her thoughts on everything basically mm. I, I feel like I could ask her about anything and she'd have an intelligent answer mm. um so, yeah, I definitely would want to have her at my dinner party. I love that. And how about your third one? So my third one is Alison Bechdel, mm-hmm. who, again, writer, um, or graphic novelist, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so the author of a really famous, successful graphic, well, graphic memoir, mm-hmm. really fun home, among others. Um, but that's probably her, her most famous Um I think it's now been made into a musical as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, but she's also super famous for being the creator or the originator behind the idea of the Bechdel test. Yes. Oh, in, yeah. Okay. So in, it's kind of an idea, a way of looking at, I think, films particularly, but I suppose you could apply it to any work of art, any book, mm. TV show or whatever. And the idea is that a film only passes the Bechdel test if it has two women characters and at some point during the film they have to be have had a conversation yes. um about something other than a man and it is quite surprising how many films books tv shows would not pass the vector test oh, well yeah. even if they have female characters or representation of women mm. um they yeah will be only talking about men or their relationships with men which is obviously you know not always a problem and it's you've got to have yeah conversations that one can have and one can enjoy having what i want to know is whether that your dinner party would pass the best oh god i'd really (laughs) some of the best conversations that i have at dinner parties are about men and relationships and i think you've got to have a bit of everything so i'd hope that even if there were we were talking about the patriarchy Mm. and women like relationships between men and women mm-hmm. that there would still be other opportunities to talk about other things mm-hmm. I think definitely I'm sure I'm sure it would and, um, and how do you think do you think they would get on with each other so because I'm obviously <laughs> a very a nervous podcast guest I did, <laughs> I did some research and I was googling <laughs> earlier whether um any of these people had actually already met and I couldn't quite work out whether they had met mm. But I'm still one. Yeah, I don't I know. know. Yeah, I was trying to work out. Laura Ephron is a different generation. To slightly, Sadie Smith. Yeah, but I, I don't know how old Alison Bechdel is. About I think early sixties. Oh, okay, so a little bit older. More likely than that, maybe Laura Ephron yeah, and Alison Bechdel might maybe. have met. Maybe, but also Alison Bechdel, Sadie Smith might have met. 
Yeah. Um, and so I think, I don't think they would necessarily all agree on everything. Mm. I think that's completely normal. Most, you know, most people don't agree on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, but I still think they would have some interesting conversations. And I don't think it would end, I hope it wouldn't end in, in big fights or <laughs> big disagreements. Um, I get the impression that it would be quite a warm evening. Yeah. I don't see how any of those people or you would, it would kind of, would it, where would it, it would end in any kind no, of No, I think they definitely have things to talk about and they might. It would be quite respectful. Yeah, I think yeah. they might have different opinions on certain things, but I think they'd have things to talk about and would hopefully enjoy enjoy each other's company. I do know, I'm pretty sure that Zadie Smith is quite a big fan of, um, kind of graphic novels and mm. um those kind of things, though, hopefully would have something to talk about with Alice and Bechdel, mm. but then also, you know, the whole Bechdel test mm-hmm. and then Nora being a um, kind of screenwriter in, mm. in the film industry, but also... And also the... a really, really adept at creating these kind of tableaus of yeah. city life, like yeah. Baby Smith is able exactly, to do. Exactly, in New York versus Exactly. So, and also with a kind of ounce of romance. Yeah, there's always... so. I think they would definitely also, you know, because Nora Ephron hasn't been around, we'd have to catch her up on quite a lot of things yeah. that have happened in, in current affairs and pop culture yeah. in the last 10 years yeah. and get her thoughts on, on all of those things. The pandemic, we'd have to Gosh. explain COVID Trump. to her. Trump. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if you'd want to know the job of explaining Trump to Nora. No, that would not be good. <laughs> um, and what would the kind of tunes the three tunes that would be on repeat all night because I know music as I know you as a friend is very important to you so I yeah to it, again had a very long list <laughs> and was thinking about do I choose songs that are good background music for dinner party do parties do I choose ones that are galvanizing and engaging in a mm. sort of feminist way or just you know, good tunes that I really want. Um, so I've narrowed it down to, firstly, Summertime, and I know that that has lots of different versions, but the one that I really love is Ella Fitzgerald and Louis yeah. Armstrong. The most beautiful one, yeah. I think. I think, mm. uh, I mean, Ella Fitzgerald has an incredible voice and it's a really lovely song and I'm imagining my dinner party would be in summertime, yeah. so fitting for that. Um, Late summer or early summer? Like around May, June, or kind of more the tail end of like a kind of. I'm imagining either the earth is yet to be baked, or the earth has been baked for a few months and it's just kind of still very hot and hazy. I think early summer, yeah. maybe. I think still early, like fresh. And yeah, so we're looking forward yeah. to, to summertime, mm-hmm. and I think because that song is sort of quite mellow and gentle mm-hmm. as well, it would be good particularly at the beginning of the dinner party, mm-hmm. just the background music. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully everyone would enjoy would enjoy this beautiful voice mm. um, in the background. So that is my my first choice. Mm-hmm. And my second choice um sort of follows on I guess or follows the same um mood is Joy Crooks, who yes. I know we both love. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be able to speak. I'd be so in admiration of her. She's the best. And her oh, voice is incredible. So, yeah, love Joy Crooks. And again, really difficult to narrow down just even the specific song of hers that mm. I would choose. But I've gone for Feet Don't Fail Me Now in the end because yeah. I think that's 
really her really evokes her and um is so symbolic of her style but also it's quite a empowering song as mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. and um would so would be good for a feminist a feminist dinner party mm-hmm. but also good for being in the background and just being chilled and mellow yeah um so we've got some joy crooks there and then finally i'm gonna end with florence and the machine yeah she's one of my favorites um and i'm gonna go for only a for a night which mm. is one of my favorite of her songs and but i think it's a bit more upbeat a yeah bit more maybe towards the towards end, the end of it, yeah yeah when you know if you want to get people up dancing, yeah, yeah. Singing, that would be the one to play so, lovely choices yeah i um if so this is the perfect dinner party you money is no issue yeah. um the space is no issue you could be living in a huge you know, house in the middle of London. Who would you like to be playing live? Oh. Out of those three. Oh, God. And they can play any song you want. They can play their whole album. They can play, you know, you've got their whole rap- repertoire for the evening, but you can only choose one of those. Florence and the Sheen, Joy Crooks, uh, and Ella Fitzgerald with Louis Armstrong. Not the live's going to have to be Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that was that yeah. really you think about that every day for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think it would have to be because, um, because I think there's just no chance, you know. I obviously could go and see Florence the Machine or Joy Crooks, you know, at yeah, some point in my true. life. Yeah, and we have to enjoy exactly. And she was brilliant, she was amazing, uh, but it is, but Sharon has to take, yeah, yeah, yeah and I think it just would be perfect because could do so many different songs, have yes. such a rich repertoire, and. I don't know if I, I just, if you're listing the whole, yeah. you know, I'd be a really bad host of Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> um, so no, that would be, that would be incredible. That would really, if we could have all three live, oh, well, that would elevate the dinner party. Much, maybe, I don't yeah. know. Too, too much, much talent in one. Too much talent in one room, I'd just be in awe. And what's the table looking like? What's the tablescaping? Is there a theme? Uh, I'm thinking flowers or candles, what colour are the plates? Tell me. So definitely spring, summer mm-hmm. energy. I think I love flowers. So definitely have some of those, mm-hmm. some candles as well. So I think nicely put together mm-hmm. and dressed up, but not not too fancy, mm-hmm. not like a bit of Thai dinner event it would still be people could come as they are they would mm-hmm. be expected to be all fancy mm-hmm. dressed up um so it'd be relaxed but put together yeah and again spring summer and I'm imagining it in a sort of yeah some a dining room that's got lots of books mm-hmm. or a piano mm-hmm. or something creative and arty mm-hmm. in in the background in in the room nice yeah um i think this is the most important part of the podcast um onto the food yeah what are you serving your starter so at the beginning i would like to have a meze board mm. so i'm thinking hummus yeah baba ganoush some flatbreads some yeah. olives maybe some bits i don't know something with feta it's that beaky um Maybe taramasa latte, mm. or veggie. Um, That's very nice of you because you don't yeah. eat. Tar- 
so yeah all those kind of little bits and pieces yes. that people can can dip into at the beginning I just love all of that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. again it's so as a vegetarian it's so nice it gives it's really one of those dishes or you know sets of mm. food that gives vegetarians lots of options mm. so I like that and it's also good because for a starter you don't want to fill yourself up too much no, you want to look true. forward to the the main event yes so having the option to too much. pick and choose yeah is is nice what kind of baba ganoush is it going to be or, like an americanized baba ganoush or the kind of middle eastern proper like char grilled aubergines tahini yeah that's that kind of yeah that yeah we want it to be we don't want some american no, 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 yeah. authentic yeah, yeah. um that's one of my favorite dips yeah. the best and how about the olives what kind of olives i like black olives but i think we'll have them you know we'll have a variety we'll have some yeah. that's probably some stuffed olives yes um i want some nocellara that's an appalling pronunciation what n-o-c-e-l-l-a-r-a olives okay. those like massive green oh. fresh olives yeah that i first had at my 17th birthday in um that burger place uh what is it called what's that quite nice burger place not gbk Byron. Byron. Yeah. And I remember, Hello. this was before I knew because you joined our school later, but it was my 16th or 17th, 16th it would have yeah. been. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a great time. Iconic olives. I didn't like olives before that. And Byron they changed they're everything. They're humongous, green, fresh olives from somewhere in Spain. I think. Okay, we'll have some of those. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to to you. Cut off on one of our I this is what this podcast is all about, yeah. going off on one about olives. Um that sounds like a delightful starter. Are you what kind of flatbreads? Oh god, it's so because I because you know like there's Lebanese flatbreads that are big and kind of thinner, or you have yeah. pizza breads that are really fluffy. So yeah, I think it would have to be a sort of Lebanese yeah. a bit yeah. thinner because again, you don't wanna have too fluffy filling pita breads. You just want mm. a nice for a starter. Mm-hmm nice something something that will go well with the dip. yes yeah um so yeah okay so we've had the starter yeah music's playing yeah there's some good conversation yeah how long are you waiting in between the starter and the main i think the main because it's a, it's a mezze situation mm. the main can follow relatively soon after yeah we yeah. don't need a big pause are you topping um, up drinks? Is this a oh, busy yeah. night? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What kind of alcohol? I think whatever anyone wants. Everyone in this perfect dinner party, yeah. everyone could order their drink of choice. I think we'd have some summery cocktails and options. Mm. Maybe some pins. Nice. Maybe probably some champagne or prosecco. Oh, money is no object. Um, <laughs> But also wine if people want it, or soft drinks if people want it, virgin cocktails, elderflower, okay. whatever it's anyone the wants. Toast. Yeah, there's two the whole list of drinks that you're willing to <laughs> make for people. It really is. But yeah, an imaginary dinner party where there is no budget. Pims and Messe, I'm my mouth is salivating. Yeah, summer. So Tilly and I are going to a bottomless brunch after this. <laughs> um, and it's Italian, and I, I really, I want some pims. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Um, okay, how about your main? So my main is going to be a, it's actually this really nice dish that my mum has made quite a lot. Oh. It's aubergine, feta and spinach parcels, like phyllo parcels. So, and actually I think it has some tomato in it as well. I can't remember, it's a really old recipe. I think she has it from some kind of magazine from the 90s. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those really nice vegetarian dishes that will please everyone. Love some aubergine, so it sort of follows the whole theme. It's like the Mediterranean. Yeah, med- yeah. basically Mediterranean summery theme. Um, so those parcels, um, and then served with it some really nice salads, just some leaves, rocket, spinach, mm-hmm. um, with a really lovely, a lovely dressing, mm. and probably some, probably some sunflower seeds sprinkled on top, nice. or just any seeds. So some nice aubergine spinach feta parcels with Delish. with salad. That yeah. sounds good. Mm. Is there what kind of dressing is it? Sweet, more mustardy. A little bit sweet. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, obviously, oil and uh, oil and vinegar is going to be on the table yeah. no matter what. So yeah. that if you want to keep eating your flatbread mm-hmm. and just having some oil and vinegar, mm-hmm. you can. But yeah, I would say sweet is more is more my taste for a salad dressing. I think I prefer sweet as well. Yeah, I salad on its own is nice like the leaves yeah. but you I think you need that you need sweetness cause... but you also need it on the side remember as yes for people who've watched when Harry met Sally yeah maybe not everyone needs her dressing yeah, on the side, she needs dressing on the side. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that is that is my main delicious how about the dessert dessert is going to be a berry crumble mm. so mixed berries i would say but definitely some blackberries some strawberries raspberries in there and yeah just a really nice traditional homemade crumble mm-hmm. and because i know some people like cream but i'm not a big cream fan but i do love ice cream so mm. it'll be served with ice cream and again in this imaginary world it is any ice cream flavour anyone wants. It can just be <laughs> vanilla if you want to be traditional. But I'm imagining some kind of gelato ice cream oh. cart where anyone can choose what flavour they like to go with their crumble. So I think I would like some vanilla, but also I do love mint ice cream. I think that's not mint chocolate chip, mint. Both. I like mint and mint I don't think I've ever had mint by itself. It's actually. nice. Yeah, I can imagine it's nice. Yeah, nice. I love it. Mint chocolate. Yeah. Meal. Yeah, and no, I can imagine. So crumble and ice cream we're ending with, but berries so that it feels fruity Slightly and summery. Sorry. I think just because a pudding's warm doesn't mean it can't be in summer. No, I agree. Because we're still using the ingredients that are available. Though, yeah, Like definitely. apple or berries. That, that's summer is for yeah. that. Maybe they were always a summer Yeah, maybe. Because it's not like we, uh, we don't, in England that's when berries are available. Yeah. That's when apples are No, that's such a lie. Apples are throughout the year. <laughs> Do we know what? <laughs> Do we know our vegetables? My apple is No, I think you can have a warm a warm pudding at any time of year. Yeah. So that would be, that would be my pudding, basically. I love that. Did you choose the menu with those people in mind or was it kind of like things that make you feel at home and therefore you'd enjoy the evening more? Yeah, probably the latter. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a mix because I'm 
like I said, because I'm imagining it in a certain time of year, mm-hmm. a certain mood, I wanted that type of food that would mm. suit that time of year. So I thought definitely with that in mind, but I was also thinking, what do I like and what would I want to eat? To eat and also, what, would, what do I know is nice? Because again, yeah. I was thinking, oh, I guess some people would like to eat meat, but because I'm not a meat eater, I don't mm. think I really know what... I wouldn't know what to serve. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Um, so it has to be something that I think I know. I know. It's good, yeah, that you know it's good. And I think they're pretty. I mean, I think Mediterranean menus are always impressive. Yeah, and everyone kind I'm of likes it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Definitely. I loved your menu. Thank you. Um, what's happening after pudding? Oh, absolutely! Dancing, mm-hmm. karaoke, mm-hmm. singing. I mm-hmm. really hope. I know that. Um, especially if I mean, especially if we've got the got the musicians there, sing <laughs> live. Um, but also, I know Zadie Smith is an amazing singer. Actually, oh, is she? Yeah. Um, we went to this event at the Barbican last year where she there was music played alongside each of her novels, sort of to evoke each of her novels, oh, and wow. then she sang at the end oh, as well. Wow. She has the most amazing voice. So I think she was trained, like oh really, yeah, oh, instead cool. of jazz and classical singing so I'm hoping she would be so up for I'm envisaging karaoke but is that yeah well yeah but sort of stylish stylish karaoke. karaoke yeah yeah I mean as much as I love singing some Disney tunes no, no. at a trashy karaoke we, bar no, we need jazz I'm thinking some nice yeah some nice jazz everyone's yeah. singing along um, <laughs> I know <laughs> I feel like I've sort of gained the system because it's supposed to be three guests and now I'm like, well, actually, actually all of the musicians are there as well. So <laughs> that's I mean, expanded. I didn't make that's the rules. That's expanded the evening. <laughs> it's actually a universe that yeah. I, I didn't even make the rules. So you can imagine three universe where they're all there. We're all singing. We're all having a good time. We're having whatever drinks we want. And yeah, so I think having had maybe some intense or thoughtful conversation that yeah. moves into something more although to be honest part of me thinks maybe the dinner party we just end up talking about films and books and music and mm. things we've been listening to and watching and kind of wind down quietly yeah than... yeah yeah what time do you think it would end i hope quite a late one Especially mm. if it's a summer evening mm. you want to make the most of the yeah. the daylight hours yeah so Post midnight. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think post midnight, but not, you know, it's not going to be crazy. People, people have got to get less sleep. They've got to get more effort on Sadie Smith. I know. I I don't know much about more effort. Oh, no, I need to now. I need to. I love her, and I think she has so many intelligent thoughts about so many things. Mm. And Hartford is also just really funny and. Her, her films, even though, you know, obviously there are some problematic aspects of her films or films mm. that, like, parts of it well, that you shouldn't like. And also, you know, like, You've Got Mail. Mm. I really shouldn't love You've Got Mail because oh, it's God, all about... Oh, God, I love it. I love it so much. It's based one of my favourite films ever. Um, but I kind of shouldn't love it because it's all about how she ends up losing her lovely independent bookshop and falls in love with a big corporate... I know. ...monster bookseller. Which is really not my vibe, but we just we but love it anyway. Room. I know. It's <laughs> so, but we want the shop around the corner to survive. We want um, we want it to not be subsumed by Fox Books. Um, but it's such a like. So it was my mum's favourite film 
for a long time I think I think I don't know if it still is but we watched it a lot when I was yeah. growing up and when I went to New York for the first time when I was very little we went to the cafe where they have well he stands her up they're kind of yeah, yeah they're they had cupcakes and stuff like that and it's just I think it's the reason I fell in love with New York so yeah. much it's the reason I always wanted to live there it's the like it's the I most evocative films. film yeah the reason her films film, for sure yeah and at the top of the Empire State Building at the end yeah. it was in Seattle yeah that's why I was in New York yeah yeah um but also yeah her essays on relationships growing up mm. growing old mm-hmm. um living living well um i just we love it she's iconic anyway i'll stop talking about laura <laughs> is she someone now that so i'd love to talk to you more about your career in publishing and how and your love of literature because you've been such a massive help throughout the club's creation um because i don't have a background in publishing or literature it's not my career at all i just like i liked reading in the past but i'm not you know um is that someone like nora efron was that the reason you got into your career or was it a more kind of specific career route um no to be honest i think i ended up in my job sort of by accident sort of mm-hmm. because I worked in a bookshop while I was at uni mm. and again that was sort of at the time it wasn't particularly calculated I kind of just needed a Saturday job mm. um, and ended up working in a bookshop and just loved it so much mm. and then understood oh this is actually a whole industry that I'd love to work in mm-hmm. Um, before that, I think I didn't really understand probably how books were published or came to be. I mean, I always was an enormous reader, massive mm. bookworm since forever, really. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know why. I think I just hadn't appreciated that that was a job that mm. someone could do. But then once I'd been working in bookshops and the world sort of opened up and I realised that was, that could be an option, then I wanted to stay in it. Um, and I think there were so many writers who encouraged my love of reading. There was, again, it was people on my long list of people that I wanted to invite to this party, mm. like Margaret Atwood, Toni Morrison, mm. um, who else, who were other big, you know, I love an author called Elizabeth Jane Howard, mm. who's actually not, well, I, I can't tell if she's super beloved or less well-known, but mm. she wrote this amazing series called The Casley Chronicles, which is beloved by quite a lot of people. It's this mm-hmm. very big, old English family, um, and a set of five books, and sort of follows them all through that. And, yeah, I really loved them at one stage. Um, but also then, you know, writers that I read when I was a kid, like Mallory Blackman, mm. um, and also called Jenny Nimmo I used to love. Mm. Um so many like really brilliant writers that looking back I suppose did shape my interest and what I loved and mm-hmm. but yeah once I was in the industry I was like oh, okay this is a, this, this is what great you day. so it did kind of grow out of a, of a yeah. hobby a love for something yeah which, I is, think which so. is quite rare I guess yeah nowadays for jobs to really grow out of something that you have enjoyed doing since you were little. Yeah, actually, I think that's true, because even if you want to, if you know what you want to do, you're going to set out to do it 
you know, say you always have wanted to be a lawyer. It's not something that is going to have grown out of no, a exactly. hobby when you were yeah. a kid. Whereas I think, well, I suppose a lot of creative industries are going to be yes. like that. Yeah. You might end up in the film industry or the mm-hmm. theatre industry mm-hmm. or being an actor, having loved doing little shows when you were mm. when you were a child. So, yeah, I suppose I'm very lucky in that sense. Mm-hmm. I'm glad and grateful. I mean, I know that a lot of members in the club, just by nature of what the club does, are either in publishing or kind of interested in getting into publishing or at least writing literature, that kind of world. Mm. Um, obviously recognising our own like privilege getting into the careers that we've managed to get into, what would be your kind of main advice for maybe younger women wanting to get into your industry? That's a good question. My advice is always starting book selling but that's because I just loved I loved being a bookseller mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and working in bookshops and again maybe that was maybe that was subconsciously influenced by you've got mail maybe maybe I've actually always wanted, <laughs> wanted to um oh god don't tell me you're going to be happy <laughs> don't corporate giant no definitely not um so yeah, book selling was really, I think because it was my foot in the door, I suppose that's yes. what I would recommend. But also I think it gives you such a broad knowledge and appreciation of the industry mm-hmm. and of books and of what people are reading. It, it's retail, so it also mm-hmm. schools you in a lot of useful things like yeah. how to deal with members of the public, mm-hmm. how to work shift, mm-hmm. how to, you know, um, be on your feet all day and mm-hmm. having to be quite active and balancing a lot of different things but I think in a weird way I was never I never had the point where I had the most knowledge about the industry and about what people were reading and and enjoying was probably when I was book selling mm-hmm, yeah. less than less than now in a mm-hmm. way um because when you're focused on one list of books you you can sort of forget that there's wider things mm-hmm. um and interacting with readers is just really nice so I would say definitely that's not that that's easy always because there aren't always loads of jobs available mm. um, in bookshops either. Although post pandemic, I think it's getting it's getting better, but mm. there was a brief period where it definitely was really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would always be my recommendation. But also, obviously, this goes without saying, reading widely, reading what you like mm. not definitely not feeling like you have to read any certain type of books because yeah. the industry is so broad and there are so many different avenues and lists and genres mm-hmm. and types of books that you could end up working on but so read what you enjoy mm. and read yeah as much as you, as much as you can and also talk to people and ask for help and advice I think again it's an industry that's lots of it's about relationships and people Mm. and so talking to different people asking their advice and you never know what might come of it Mm. I think. How does your own feminism reflect the way that you work for a feminist? I'm going to use the wrong terminology you have to explain to me how your the your work is feminist like the publishing house that you work in how is that yeah so uh so the Virago sort of line or strap line is I'm hoping I've remembered this perfectly but um, <laughs> a feminist publisher of outstanding books for all readers mm-hmm. so um 
and that can mean lots of different things Mm -hmm. that doesn't just mean oh we're publishing only sort of feminist polemics Mm -hmm. um it means a huge range of different books and because I think that's the idea is that feminism is a broad spectrum of different things Mm -hmm. and it can be really hardcore sort of history or politics or something like that but it can also just be you know exploring it in a in a different way through lit novels short stories all those kind of things um so I suppose in a weird way we're not always think we're not always thinking about feminism but equally maybe we are all the time even if it's not over mm-hmm. it can be subconsciously I suppose we are thinking about it mm-hmm. um but and it's hard to say because I'm still so early in my career I, yeah. I'm definitely not the oracle on any of these <laughs> things I would have to ask my much wiser and more esteemed colleagues um their thoughts on this but um I suppose yeah I'm trying always to think about it but sort of pushing boundaries in more than one way not just with feminism but I suppose like you were talking about with Flora Williams in your first podcast about intersectional feminism thinking about the different voices and stories that haven't been represented before Mm -hmm. in literature um because that's just really important because Mm -hmm. the canon is just so can be so homogenous Mm -hmm. so yeah I suppose we're always trying to think about that Mm -hmm. I mean just my final question and I have loved your dinner party I've had a wonderful evening and well into the night I thought it was amazing that you managed to get all these incredible people in one final question how are you endeavouring in what small ways to be a better feminist for yourself and for other people million of the question <laughs> we're all all thinking about all the time um I suppose for me it is all about reading more and listening more and mm-hmm. watching more and trying to hear more perspectives more voices and trying not to be defensive I suppose if you come across thoughts and ideas that maybe challenge something that you thought was true or that a belief system that you were kind of in before Mm. so trying to read and listen widely to a wide range of different people and taking that on board and then yeah I suppose listening and reading things with nuance and trying to see the more the grayer areas um and yeah as you know as the podcast said like giving bringing other seats to the to the table yeah yeah um and also I mean it, it's really important to note that we're both white yeah middle class privately educated women yeah and the club is overwhelmingly made up of mostly white women mm. so we're aware of that kind yeah. of privilege and what we try and do is educate ourselves by reading yeah outside of our kind of own experience of being a woman which is a very kind of one note well not one note obviously everyone's different mm. but it's a very specific experience of being yeah a, um a woman yeah so, so trying to listen I think mm-hmm. is a good hopefully a good keep your eyes and your ears open 
I love that. What a lovely note to end on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tate. Hey, Thank um, you for having me. It's been a really lovely conversation. And yeah, like I said, I loved your dinner party. It was, I just felt like a very warm, summery, beautiful evening. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me.